0: Good morning, everyone. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers chapter 19. Now, as we've gone through the book of Numbers, what we have found is that as the book of Numbers was put together by Moses, that we don't just have one long stretch of all narrative or one long stretch of all law or one long stretch of all census. But this book was put together with a narrative that runs through that we can follow of the of how Israel was brought from the base of Mount Sinai to the edge of the promised land and how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years but mixed in are sections of law sections that describe how the people of God are to relate to the Lord through the priesthood of Aaron, and other aspects of how the people were to live in community. Here in chapter 19, we have a law section. Now these aren't just randomly thrown in there. They actually communicate to us something that is happening in the story. And so, as you remember, we have just finished up with Korah's rebellion and the aftermath of that. And how there was death that was brought into the camp because of this rebellion. Well, here in chapter 19, the Lord gives to Moses and Aaron the law concerning how the people of Israel are to be cleansed from the defilement of death in the camp. You see, this law was given with a particular purpose of dealing with sin and death as it has come into the camp. And so as we turn our attention now to God's Word, starting in verse 1 of chapter 19, we will see how the Lord has offered the blood of a pure sacrifice to deal with the death of sin. Hear now the word. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring to you a red heifer without defect, in which there is no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come. And you shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and it shall be taken outside the camp and slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood towards the front of the tent of meeting seven times. And the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its skin, its flesh, and its blood with its dung shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop And scarlet yarn, and throw them into the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. But the priest shall be unclean until evening. The one who burns the heifer shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his body in water, and shall be unclean until evening. And the man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the water for impurity for the congregation of the people of Israel. It is a sin offering. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And this shall be a perpetual statute for the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Father, we come now to this passage that seems to speak to a people and a place a time long ago. But we ask, Lord, that by Your Holy Spirit You would open our eyes to see That this statute given for Your people, Lord, affects us very much even today. Help us, Lord, to see, to look to, to know the saving power of the blood of the sacrifice that has been given for us. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, if you couldn't tell by the title of the sermon and the notes in your bulletin for the sermon, this morning's message is about blood. This is your warning, because I know that there are many of you who really don't like the idea of blood. The very thought of it makes you feel a little queasy and lightheaded April and I had some friends from college who were both very fearful of blood. And as it turned out, they got engaged to be married. And in Georgia, well, that's not the funny part. In Georgia, at the time, you had to have a blood test prior to marriage. Well, our two friends went to the clinic to have their blood drawn and the bride-to-be went first and wouldn't you know, so embarrassing as she saw her own blood being drawn out, she passed out in front of her future husband. Well, once they got her recovered and settled, gave her a cookie, make sure her blood sugar's okay, it was the groom's turn. And wouldn't you know, as he saw his blood being taken out, He passed out as well. They were perfect for each other. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. (laughs) Let's just hope their kids never get a bloody nose. So I warn the deacons, because I know that there are probably some of you out there that feel like this. There might be some fainters this morning as we talk about blood. Now, the question is, why is it that we get so nervous when we see blood. Psychiatrists say that the root of this fear is a fear of injury or the fear of death. The sight of blood rightly brings to mind such fears because our blood holds the power of our life. Without our blood, we could not live. The book of Leviticus, which outlines the need for blood sacrifices in the tabernacle, explains the connection between blood and life. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. It is the blood that makes atonement that cleanses from sin. What cleanses from the sin? Life. Life brings cleansing from sin. The life is in the blood and therefore it is the blood that cleanses us. It is the power of life within the blood that provides the needed atonement from sin. The life within the blood is like the caffeine in the coffee. It's what gives it power. It's what makes it so good. what makes it so needed. You see, the wages of sin is death. That is what we incur upon ourselves when we rebel against the Lord. Not nearly death, but all that belongs to death's realm. And so death doesn't just mean dying, it means pain. It means guilt. It means sickness and anxiety and decay. It means fruitless labor and injustice. It means substance abuse and addiction. Death means alienation from God. It means rebellion against the God for whom we were created. To live in the realm of death also means that we are sinned against. That others sin against us and bring the effects of death to bear on our lives. And therefore, to be free from the effects of sin to be free from the guilt and the punishment, to be free from the alienation from God and from each other, to be free from all the filth and pain that comes from being in the kingdom of death, we must receive some source of life. And what we will see in our text for this morning is that to be cleansed from death, we must be washed by the blood of life. And the first thing I want to see from our text is the need for the blood. In our passage for this morning, we find a people who have been living with the deadly effects of sin. Over the past several chapters, the rebellion and grumbling of the people has led to a large number of deaths in the camp. And therefore, there is a great need to be cleansed. Look at verse 11 of chapter 19. We see this need to be cleansed. It says, whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. Contact with death made an Israelite ceremonially unclean. Now, we must not go down the path of thinking that God is merely laying down public health regulations here. As much as there may be a secondary grace of containing the spread of disease through these regulations, the primary concern are the spiritual health of the people and the glory of God. You see, contact with the dead could not be ignored by those who live in the presence of God. For the word of the Lord tells us that He is a living God. And even more than that, Jesus tells us, now He is not God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to Him. You see, death is God's enemy. God is a God of life. He is not a God of death. And so He is continually seeking to see the defeat of death. Death is not natural to His creation. From a biblical perspective, death entered the world through the sin of mankind. So it is a disease. It is a stain that has blotted itself upon God's good creation. Death is an enemy that will one day be completely defeated through the resurrection of Christ. When Christ returns, He will raise us all from the dead. You see, death is evidence that sin has infected this world, and that it infects us as well. And so when someone dies within the community of Israel, it is of utmost importance that all within the community be cleansed from this death to display that the Lord God is the God of the living. His presence does not abide with death. And therefore, whatever carries the marks of death must be taken outside the camp. Look at verse 20 of our text. There it says. If the man who is unclean does not cleanse himself, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly, since he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Again, this is not public health regulations. However, the concept of public health is very similar here. When there's a possibility of an outbreak of a disease, we take it very seriously If someone tests positive for tuberculosis, we don't just send him back out into the community to spread it amongst the people. No, to stop the spread, we quarantine those who are sick and we treat them and wait until the disease is gone before we let them back in. And it is here that we see the need for the blood of life. For it is the blood that cleanses those who have been defiled by death and returns them to a right relationship with God. The blood of the sin offering is sprinkled upon those who have come into contact with death. And by the sprinkling of the blood, those who were separated from God are brought back to Him again. There is a great need for the blood of life. Because of the presence of death. Blood as the life has the power to deliver from the kingdom of death. We need the blood because death has spread into the camp. Death has invaded every aspect of who we are. And if we continue in the ways of death's kingdom, then we will forever be separated from the God of life. From the God of the living We need the blood to cleanse us. We need the blood to deliver us. Because each and every one of us, if the Lord tarries, will go down into death. But we need the blood to give us eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We need the blood to cleanse us. We need the blood to deliver us. We need the blood to save us from death. We are infected by this disease of death and the cure is the blood of life. That is the need of the blood. But what is the nature of the blood? What is it about this blood that delivers? Well, throughout the law of God, there are several atoning sacrifices that all point to the need for blood. In our passage for this morning, we encounter a particular sacrifice that is to be offered for the cleansing from the defilement of death. And there are a few aspects of this sacrifice that teach us of the nature of the life-giving blood. The first thing that we see about this sacrifice is that it must be pure. It must be a pure Sacrifice. Look at verse 2 of chapter 9 there. And we read about this sacrifice that's commanded. It says, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect, in which there is no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come. You see, the blood that is needed to cleanse from the effects of death must be pure. That means that the life-giving blood cannot have the marks of death upon it. This red heifer that is to be sacrificed cannot have a defect. It cannot have a blemish. The sacrifice cannot have anything wrong with it, right? The Israelites couldn't just bring out their old worn-out cow with psoriasis and a broken leg and drag it in to be offered. You can't bring an offering that's already been yoked, that's already been worked, The nature of the life-giving blood must be without any blemish. The next thing that we see is that the nature of the life-giving blood must be very potent. As we read in verse 2, the heifer is to be a red heifer. And then we read in verse 6, that when it is sacrificed and burned, that the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire, burning the heifer. Now what's going on here? What, why cedar wood? Why this red yarn? What is being communicated here is that the redness of the heifer, the redness of the cedar wood, the redness of the scarlet yarn all point to the potency of the sacrifice that is made. The blood cannot be weak. It cannot be diluted. Rather, the word of God is communicating to his people that the sacrifice that delivers them from the effects of death must be a powerful sacrifice. And the third thing that we see about the nature of the blood is that it must be holy blood, it must be set apart to the Lord. This sacrifice cannot be made by just anyone, nor can it be done in just any manner. The sacrifice must be done by the priest of the Lord, and the blood of the sacrifice must be set aside to the Lord. Look at verse 4 of this ceremony. There we read that Eleazar, the priest, shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. That is towards the tabernacle where the Lord is. You see, the nature of the blood that will deliver us from death must be pure. It must be powerful. It must be holiness. The need is freedom from sin. Freedom from death. And the cure for it is a blood that is pure. It has no blemish. And therefore, it cannot be our own blood. It must be potent. It must come from a source that can cure all the ills of death. And it must be holy. It must be from the Lord God Himself. And yet, what power does this blood have to accomplish the goal of delivering God's people from death? What does the blood actually do to save His people? First, we see that the blood bears iniquity. It bears the iniquity of sin and death. That just means it takes away what is wrong with sin and death. It absorbs and it turns away the effects of death in the lives of God's people. The long word for this concept of absorbing the penalty of sin is propitiation. Yet it simply but profoundly means that the penalty for sin is transferred from one people to another. It is transferred from the Israelites. Their sin is taken from them and the defilement is taken from them and it is given to the sacrifice. The death of the people is taken on by the life of the blood. We see this reality played out first in the death of the sacrifice. This animal had no defect or blemish, but as a substitute, it is offered up before the Lord on behalf of a sinful people. The blood has the power to bear iniquity. That is, it has the power to take the guilt of sin and carry that weight on behalf of the people. But the blood also has the power to cleanse, to take out the stain of sin. Look at verse 19 of your text. It says, And the clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. Thus on the seventh day he shall cleanse him and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and at evening he shall Be clean. You see, it is only the blood that can cleanse from sin. There is nothing else that has the power to accomplish this purpose, to take out the stain of sin. When I was in high school, I had this horrible habit of leaving ink pens in the pocket of my pants when I would do laundry. My parents thought it would be a good idea to teach their high school son how to do laundry. They had no idea the havoc that I would wreak upon our household. You see, it would go through the wash cycle just fine. But then once it got into the dryer, the pen would burst And it would get all over everything. All the clothes would have all these black ink spots all over them. And not just that, because it was in the dryer, the ink would dry into the clothes. I see some heads bobbing. Some of you have done this. And I know that there is somebody out here who knows how to get this stain out. They are going to come up to me afterwards and say, Oh, you just needed to use. But there was nothing. There is nothing that I knew of that could get that stain out of the clothes. There was nothing that could pull it out because it ran so deep and it was dried in there. They were permanent. They were indelible. And the marks of sin stain our souls in the same permanent manner. And we try with all of our might to see the stains of sin and guilt washed away. But there is nothing that we can do. There is nothing that can cleanse a people that is stained by death and sin. Nothing except for the life-giving blood. You see, we might try good works and say, if I do enough good works, then maybe that stain will go away or maybe it will just be covered up. Sometimes we try to punish ourselves. We say, well, yes, there must be a sacrifice for this guilt, and so I will sacrifice myself. I will punish myself, and then maybe God will forgive me if I suffer enough for what I have done. Sometimes we just try to avoid it. We just go around thinking, well, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe you try a ceremony. You know, I'll go through this ceremony, I'll go through this practice, and if I go through all the right steps, then I will be forgiven. But in the end, the only thing that can wash us clean is the blood of a pure and holy and powerful sacrifice. The mark of death can only be cleansed by the blood of life. As we began the sermon reading Leviticus 17, we read, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The blood has the power to bear sin, to cleanse from guilt, and to give life. There's nothing else that a fallen, sinful people can look to for forgiveness and cleansing. There's no other source. There's no other way but by the blood of a holy and pure sacrifice to have the effects of death in our lives washed away. And so, if the blood of these red heifers that we have been reading about is so powerful that it can wash away sin and guilt shouldn't we start raising them? Shouldn't we get some land and get some red cows and start breeding them and we could sell them and you could sprinkle their blood and you could be free from your sin and guilt? This is the idea that one Reverend Lot had. Back in the 1990s, he had this idea to raise and sell red heifers to Israelites. You see, Reverend Lot believes that the temple in Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt before Jesus can come back. And a part of the rebuilding of the temple would include the purification of the people and the building site with the sacrifice we are learning about this morning. And so the plan was... Breed and raise red heifers, sell them to the Israelites. They cleanse themselves and the temple with the blood of the red heifer. They build the temple. Jesus comes back and I make a little money on the whole process. Now, there's so many wrong-headed issues here. I don't know where to begin. But the most troublesome issue is that this man is ignoring the work of Christ. But the book of Hebrews tells us, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, see, the author of Hebrews knew about Numbers 19, sanctify for purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, in reality, it is impossible for the blood of these animals to take away sin, to give us any sort of life. These sacrifices were meant to prepare. They were meant to instruct God's people about the coming sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. For we are like the people of Israel. We are all stained by sin and death. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the book of First Peter tells us you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, to be free from the effects of sin, we must trust the life-giving blood of Christ Jesus alone. For the blood of Christ is pure. He lived a perfect life on behalf of His people, never once sinning, never once going against the law of God. The blood of Christ is powerful for He is God Himself and one drop of His blood is sufficient to save every sinner from the effects of death in their lives. He can save us to the uttermost. And the blood of Christ bears our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. For as He was upon the cross pouring out His blood, He did it to pay for our sin and to take the stain out. And therefore, as we come to a text that you might say, what does this have to do with me? In reality, it has everything to do with you. It is calling you to not look to yourself for forgiveness of sins, but is calling you to trust in nothing else for deliverance from death than the life giving blood of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go now to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to You. And we come to You through Christ Jesus. For through His blood alone can we receive cleansing from our sin. We pray that all who are here that have heard Your Word might see their need for cleansing, might know the power of the blood of Christ, and might put their hope alone in everlasting life through him. And we pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen.